I want to know more about the bleeding woman, the hemorrhaging woman's faith. I want to know more about what it felt like when she touched Jesus's cloak and was healed. Jesus was startled. What did it feel like for him? Why was he so insistent to know who had touched him? And why was she initially afraid to step forward, only to spill her whole truth at his feet? And what is her whole truth? The authors of Mark don't tell us much. I long for her first person account. But Mark does give us one rich biographical snippet. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had long sought a cure, but healing seemed more and more elusive. So when I read this, it led me to one of my favorite writers, Eli Clare, who is a trans man living with cerebral palsy on the West Coast. Cerebral palsy is a group of physical conditions uh, resulting from damage to the developing brain, usually before birth, that affect movement, posture, and sometimes speech, swallowing, and vision. It, it's, its effects vary from person to person. And while there is no cure, there are many treatments intended to make CP more manageable. And I'm interested in CP personally because it affects my muscles. It affects muscles like spinal cord injury, which is what I have. So Eli Clare, like the bleeding woman in Mark, has endured much on account of his condition going to an orthopedist for relief from neck and back pain, he was told, perhaps with good intentions, you know, in 10 years, we'll have micro brain surgery to minimize or even end your tremors. Now that conversation was much more than a decade ago and no cure has materialized. Instead of Continuing to hold out hope for microbrain surgery, Eli Clare has found healing in detaching from faith in cure. Here are his words. When non-disabled folks ask me whether I take the imaginary cure pill for cerebral palsy, I know what my answer is supposed to be. How could I not want a cure? It's simple. Having shaky hands and shaky balance isn't as awful as they imagine. On mountain trails, sure, I yearn to fly downhill, feet touching ground, pushing off smooth and fluid. Instead, on steep stretches, I drop down onto my butt and I slide along using both my hands and feet. Only then, do I see the swirl marks that glaciers left in the granite? Tiny orange newts climbing among the tree roots 
otherworldly fungi growing on rotten logs. My shaky balance gives me this intimacy with the mountain. I would lose so much if that imaginary cure pill existed. My sense of the bleeding woman is that, like Eli Clare, she's given up on cures promised by people who aren't able to see, listen, or believe in her. She's looking instead for the healing balm of respect. Ableism is the notion that people like her, like me, who can't survive in this world without help and accommodation, are unworthy of respect. Ableism withholds investments in ramps, closed captioning, and women-led gynecological research because they do not yield competitive returns. Ableism is the grease in the gears of all other oppressions, Eli Clare says, because it normalizes one type of body and dehumanizes us all. Ableism defines a normal body as follows. It's symmetrical and multifunctional, and it can get by unlimited sleep. It's male, so no pesky menstruation or menopause or the hassles and risks associated with childbirth and breastfeeding. It's young, it's white. Healing from ableism is, is detaching our self-worth from our capacity to live up to this artificial norm. Healing from ableism, then, is not removing Eli Clare's tremors. It is more than stopping the flow of a hemorrhaging woman. We're taught to understand that healing is something done to us. We go into the doctor's office and they're supposed to fix us. Nowadays, your primary care physician may do this without even touching you. She might just talk with you about what's ailing you and send you to the pharmacy for some pills to adjust your inner chemistry. And this is useful. It may be very useful, but I wouldn't necessarily call it healing. There's something about touch that really matters. The kiss of a boo-boo by a parent. The friend who holds your hand in the waiting room. A hug in a time of grief. This is healing touch. Jesus's primary mode of healing was laying on of hands. But this term, laying on of hands, predated Jesus as a Hebrew practice for giving blessings and transferring or conferring authority, as when Moses laid hands on Joshua as his successor. Given the sense of laying on of hands as sharing and passing along authority, it's interesting that it's the term used to describe Jesus' ministry 
his practice of healing. Perhaps he was non-verbally insisting that the ailing or the broken or the disabled person was worthy of authority, of authorship of their own full life. In this way, it wasn't just healing from the quote-unquote problem the person had. It was healing from the stigma they faced for having the problem. The healing touch in Mark chapter 5 takes this to a new level. Here, the afflicted person reaches out her hands to touch the healer. She had heard about the power of Jesus' hands to heal, but like us, she'd heard his message too, and so she knew that she had worthiness and power. And so she laid her hands on him, and they were both transformed. Jesus wanted to know what and who had changed him, and so she came forward, and they got to know each other. We are told that she told Jesus the whole truth. We aren't told what it was, though. But we do know that she said it right there, right there and then in front of that huge crowd. And I can imagine that her truth included her need for help. As a fellow bleeding person, I can imagine she needed help with laundry. And I can imagine that was very difficult in that time. She probably needed help to grow greens and herbs to restore the iron in her body. And I can imagine that once the shame was dissolved by Jesus' public, loving listening, her neighbors now had the information and the compassion to bring her water and till her garden. Disability rights leader Norman Kunk has cerebral palsy. He spent his childhood and youth battling it so that he could be quote-unquote normal. One moment in college, everything shifted. A friend of his was telling a story that involved him, and the friend imitated Norm's voice. So afterwards, Norm said, Oh, Fred, why did you imitate my voice? And the friend went, because you talk like that. And Norman was defiant. He was trying, had tried for 20 years to be normal. Look, Fred, he said, when you imitate my voice, my whole show goes out the window. And Fred looked at Norman and said, Norman, why are you trying to be normal? Norm says about the moment, as strange as it sounds, that was the first time the question was ever put to me. Prior to that night, I saw disability as something within my body, abnormality, deficiency. But I am a part of the normal diversity of the human community. Throughout time, in every civilization, in every age, there have been disabled people. The Bible, 
Romans, the Ming Dynasty, the Mayan culture, there have always been disabled people. Now, they usually got killed, but they were there. We were there, he said. Norman quotes civil rights leader John McKnight, revolutions begin when people who are defined as problems achieve the power to redefine the problem. Norman says, to relocate the problem of disability means we go from the presumption that people should not be disabled into the idea that disability is an inherent part of the human experience. Bodies break down, accidents happen. The idea that we should be non-disabled throughout our lives is delusional. In the Bible passage we heard today, the main character doesn't tell her own story. We don't know this woman's name, so maybe the invitation is to see ourselves in her story. We hear Jesus call her daughter, and then after this conversation, Jesus goes forth to meet another daughter, another woman, a very young woman, who society has left for dead. Another mysterious healing with scant detail, but I have to wonder, was Jesus able to save the girl because of something he received from the woman? In my imagination, I can feel the spark when she laid her hands on Jesus' cloak, the transmission of her authority as a bleeding woman that Jesus might carry into his interaction with the pubescent girl. When Mark first heard about the bleeding woman and Jairus' daughter, they were probably told to him separately. Jesus did this, Jesus also did that, but Mark put these stories together. To him, it was clear that the 12-year-old girl needed connection to the woman afflicted for 12 years by bleeding. Jesus was this connection, even though Mark and his audience would have been well aware of purity regulations against Jesus interacting with a synagogue official, let alone healing someone after touching a bleeding woman. What I understand from this story is that she wasn't impure. She was holy. And don't you feel it? There is something sacred and game-changing about a marginalized person who knows she is worthy of respect. This is exactly the blessing a girl on the brink of adulthood needs in order to know that life amid patriarchy is worth living. This is the blessing that we all need in order to know that life amid ableism is actually worth living, that life amid ageism and racism 
amid homophobia, heteronormativity, life within this extractive economy, it is worth living. And this blessing is available through the touch and the testimony of people with marginalized bodies. How do we get this blessing? Well, I can tell you some ways you won't get it. As a disabled person, I can tell you I do not bless strangers for asking what happened to you at the beginning of a conversation or insisting that they'll pray for me when I brush them off. Um, I think we all know how absurd and damaging it is to pray the gay away. That's not a good way to get a blessing. But we also have to watch out for the curiosity, for, for curiosity masquerading as friendship. I hope those of us who are not black have heard the message loud and clear that we will not be blessed by laying our hands on black hair. The healing touch and testimony of the oppressed, the people who know what humanity needs to learn about healing from oppression, it's not something we can force. Jesus didn't ask for it, but when it happened in that big crowd, he stopped and listened. We heal from ableism, and we stop greasing the gears of oppression writ large when we stop and listen. At the root I have found is stopping and listening to my own body. I know I'm disabled, but do you know that you're disabled? Do you know and accept what you cannot do so that you can drop down on your butt and descend down the mountain of impossible expectations? Are you able to get intimate with the beauty that you alone in your unique body can witness? My prayer for you is that you might know and celebrate your imperfections and peculiarities. May you know your own needs and that you are worthy of having these needs met. May you listen for others' needs and show them they are worthy. And when the time is right, my prayer for this community is that you will tell us in the first person you will tell us your healing story. May it be so.